Welcome to the Ars Technicast, where Ars Technica writers and editors discuss the latest in the worlds of science, computing, technology, and everything else in between. During each episode, we dig deep into some of the issues we're writing about at ArsTechnica.com. We also talk about some of the stuff we're doing when we're not circling around the Ars orbiting headquarters. I'm one of your co-hosts, social editor Cesar Torres. And I'm your other co-host, associate writer Casey Johnston, and we are here with Andrew Cunningham, our senior product specialist. Hello. And Ron Amadio, our uh, reviews editor. Hey guys, what's up? This week we're talking about how much software is worth to companies that are as big as Apple and Microsoft and Google, since we have Ron here to talk with us. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about how this week Apple introduced their newest version of OS X for free. Um, Microsoft also introduced their uh, newest version of Windows 8, Windows 8.1. That is also free to people who did buy Windows 8. So I don't know where any of you guys fall on this line, but it doesn't really... I, I feel like there's been this big reaction to Apple's move that now this is something that the industry at large has to respond to. They, everyone now has to make their software updates free or otherwise you know, <clears throat> consumers will reject them. But I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I mean, it, it might be the case psychologically that, that you know, the free software promise has some value, right? But when you look at what Apple was charging for OS X upgrades before, um, they started charging, I think, $30 for Snow Leopard in 2009. And then, um, and then last year with Mountain Lion, it cost nineteen ninety nine. So effectively, Apple has saved people all of twenty dollars a year, <laughs> and you've still got to buy into their hardware ecosystem to like take advantage of these free software upgrades. So I think these these upgrades, I feel like the value of the software, like it's a value add to the Mac ecosystem, but I don't know if it's going to make people who use Linux or use Windows like consider mac os where they weren't before if that makes sense yeah apple still makes all their money from hardware so you're still dropping you know a thousand plus dollars on a piece of apple hardware or what a mini is 500 so it's it's all about how the company makes money i mean google is ad supported or google's an ad company apple's a hardware company and microsoft is a software company and they're really the ones that are in trouble like how does microsoft respond to this like 8.1 is free but that's only because windows 8 was bad and you know (laughs) that is a bold statement that i'm sure you'll get some emails about let's let's backtrack on that a little bit let's say let's let's say windows 8.1 was free but usually like a year after microsoft released windows vista about a year after they released windows 7 they released the first service pack for windows and usually those don't include the kind of feature updates that Windows 8.1 included, but I think it's safe to I think it's safe to say Windows 8.1 is more like a service pack than it is like a new version of the operating system. If that makes sense, yeah, that's fair to that's say. Fair. Microsoft, I guess, would get most of their money from OEMs and stuff. They don't really need to directly charge users anymore. Well, I have I actually pulled a lot of financial data, and if I'm talking too much, somebody just somebody just jump in and stop me. But I pulled down um, Apple's Q3 2013 results, which are the most um, the most current financial results that they've they've given at this point. 
And um, if you look at they, they break down their revenue into um, iPhone is one, iPad is another, Mac is one, iPod is one, and then iTunes slash software slash services is all lumped into one thing. So you have that would be like OS 10. It would be iWork. Um, <clears throat> they would also include revenues from the iTunes store, from the um, App Store on iOS and from iCloud. Um, so Apple pulled down, I think, uh, $3.99 billion from iTunes software and services all combined. Um, the iPhone is worth over four times that much. <laughs> it pulled down, um, I think, $18 billion in revenue in the same so, quarter. Yeah. So, yeah. Like <laughs> Apple software, even even with all of the App Store revenue, which is huge for them, still a pretty small chunk of their business and I don't know it just doesn't make any sense to me that that other companies are going to see this or other companies really meaning Microsoft is going to see this and be like you know afraid that they have to you know price their operating system a certain way and Microsoft does like Ron said make so much money from uh, selling their stuff especially to OEMs it's their their software specifically um I think Peter was it Peter who sent this this uh he we have a a, bal- a kind of balance sheet for Microsoft too. They if I can break down their sort of revenue, I think they have here uh revenue from uh devices and consumer licensing hardware or sorry, just licensing. Mm-hmm. Licensing is 19 billion dollars for them and where am I looking? Sorry, they they make <laughs> they make um, six billion from hardware. So, I mean, and then commercial licensing is uh, thirty nine billion. Which I, Andrew, I think you said that's uh, that's OEM OEMs buying well, um, Windows how, Office whatever. Microsoft's breakdown of this stuff is a little weird, but basically the devices and consumer revenue is um, like boxed copies and upgrades of Windows and Office. And also OEM licensing. So um, that $19 billion licensing figure for devices and consumer includes like all of the licenses of Windows that Microsoft sells to Dell and to HP and to all of its other partners. Um, and then the hardware figure for devices and consumer also includes a lot of non-computer stuff like um, Xboxes in there. That's and exclusively it, Xbox. Well, they they do <laughs> right? some they do some keyboards and mice and some other yeah. Like, small that's where things the big too. money not, is. Headsets? Keyboards and mice. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I'm not. They don't they don't get much more granular. At least not on the data that we have here. And then for the commercial licensing, which is $39 billion or close to $40 billion, it's more than twice what the consumer is. That's where you get into their real money makers, which is um, volume licensing of Windows and Office. So when your workplace, like the way these usually work, the way it worked back when I was in IT, Microsoft would basically sell these schools and businesses a license that said, any computer that you have that came with some version of Windows, you can install any version of Windows you want on it. So they're kind of they're kind of almost double dipping there. Like they're selling the OEM license to HP, and then the school or business has to buy the <coughs> business license. But that's getting off into the the weeds a little bit. <laughs> Basically, the long and short of it is that Microsoft makes a ton of money licensing software, like way more than they do 
from even even services and things. And so for for Microsoft to make things free is just not realistic as their business model currently stands, I don't think. But all well, all of those markets are not affected at all by Apple making the latest version of uh OS ten free. I mean nobody on Windows really updates you just get a new computer and it comes with a new version of Windows and that's it and none of the corporate people really deal with Apple stuff that much so yeah no like nobody updates Windows either that's the thing it's like it, even even like their biggest clients like businesses don't I'm they're all still on Windows 95 as far as I know so it's like <laughs> well, I mean that it, it depends I think we're oversimplifying a little bit but broadly yeah for consumers they're going to get a new version of Windows when they buy a new PC and um, businesses are kind of free to upgrade at their own pace. Like, I think a lot of places are, over the last couple of years, they've been doing their XP to Windows 7 transitions. I don't, I don't think... Oh, boy. I don't think that the switch from XP to 8 or from 7 to 8 has been as big. But the way that their commercial licensing works, like, businesses can continue to roll out Windows 7 now, even though Microsoft doesn't sell it to consumers anymore. Right. It just it it seems like people are trying to say for this action Apple made, there's going to be this equal and opposite reaction where everyone's going to make their operating systems free. But it's it's like it becomes a selling point for Apple devices that it comes free with all this. You know, it be, it it has you know potentially free OS upgrades, which I don't think anyone buying a computer at a store really cares about. But it has free productivity software, which is kind of important. But it's the same from the perspective of buying a Microsoft computer in store. It's it's like, well, I guess I guess if one if Microsoft has free iWork and a you know a computer you buy in store doesn't have free Office, that is kind of a problem. Well, you know, I was just going to say we're we're going to talk a little bit about the Office suites uh, in just a minute, but it just seems to me like. Apple is really just optimizing the strategy that they already had, which is usually their own. I mean, that there's a reason why they lead. And in their particular case, they lead with mobile. The, the actual iPhone is what drives currently a lot of their, their revenue, right? And so uh, the way that they've released I, iOS for uh, iPhone users and iPad users, it's just really simple. They've never, they've never had to pay for that. Um, and... Didn't they once? There have been individual, yeah. like for older iOS versions, I think. For older iPod, iOS. iPod Touch people. Yeah, to wasn't pay. there like right. one upgrade that cost money for, it was like, I think John Brodkin mentioned it, it was like $5 for, <laughs> oh, it was like that, iOS that is correct. 2. I stand corrected. Yeah, but, but before they, they've iOS since made it free. iOS, yeah, some iPod Touch <laughs> right. people had to upgrade. But I think around iOS 4, everyone just started getting it for free. Yeah. So, so if you look at that history they're basically kind of it seems to me aligning this uh the same way with uh, what would be the desktop so eventually it became free and now with mavericks going out free it's uh it puts more focus again on the actual object the the value of the hardware and the device uh they're not the same thing and definitely the desktops don't bring in the business that the iphone does but from an outsider point of view it seems to make sense that they're doing this they're also trying to just it's make more of uh the the actual system the ecosystem of the device itself kind of more invisible and that's this opens things up for third party applications in the app store you know so um 
I think it, we'll also just have to see, you know, what else they do with future releases because this isn't a true overhaul of the operating system. So um, if you guys want more details on that, you can go look at the massive uh, Mavericks review that we published uh, that John Syracuse does for every release. This is also sort of interesting to look at from the perspective of what a customer is sort of quote unquote owed by buying a, a device like um Ron can probably speak to this even better than I can, but the fact that um, Android has started getting dinged in legal contexts because people are buying Android phones and then sort of getting left out in the cold eventually, sometimes prematurely, with software updates. And sometimes it's a security problem because updates do often patch security holes. So it's I wonder if that is a preemptive move maybe on Apple's part to remove any possible barriers with regard to uh, they, they kind of placing themselves beyond reprehension sort of with regard to keeping their customers, you know, like their devices updated and everything secure. Well, the the Android situation is more of a logistics problem that there's like a hundred million billion Android cell phones out there and to update software on all of them is a ton of work, and these companies are cheap and lazy and don't necessarily want to do it. <laughs> Whereas, like, you know, there's maybe five to ten Apple laptops in the last five years where they Right, can... I'm not saying that that they, that they're on equal footing with how easy it is, but it is it is a problem that, ex- that has arisen when it comes to, like, a secure device is a moving target. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it, it, it comes around to... Like, if you watch any Apple presentation lately, like, if you go onto, I think, I assume they have the video uploaded to the Apple events site by now, but if you watch the video of their October event, which, you know, just happened earlier this week, um, a big selling point and something they talk about a lot is, you know, the interaction between your iPhone and your Mac and the way that they share stuff together with iCloud. And that, that is a big focus with iWork, too, is, like, all this stuff has been has been um, like GarageBand and um, iPhoto and iMovie are all more integrated into iCloud now and you can share things more easily between like your iOS devices and your Mac devices. So really, I mean, by making macOS free, they deliver on that promise a little more, I guess. Like they, um, they're they working to increase that integration and increase how comfortable people are in their ecosystem and increase the likelihood that somebody who comes in through an iPhone or an iPad will see like, Oh, I can share all this stuff like seamlessly with my computer and it doesn't take any effort on my part or whatever. Like they, they're trying to get people more invested in their ecosystem. And I guess to, to um, throw out a term that has a lot of negative connotations, trying to lock people into it and make them, I guess, make it, make them so comfortable that it's hard for them to leave and that they don't want to leave. Trying to bring them into the cocoon. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, well, with that, we can talk a little bit more about the fact that Apple made iWork free. Um, and how, I mean, I certainly would not dream of paying for a word processor or a spreadsheet program anymore. But I, I'm not a, I'm not really a professional user of one of those things. So it, it doesn't, it's not really important. But I mean... Google services has become my sort of locus <clears throat> for that stuff. And um, so I don't really know. I like I, I think I'm less familiar with this sort of move strategically, but I it seems that this is a, a strike at Google's sort of 
you know, heart and soul. Google kind of started all this stuff with Google Docs, you know, and even like the OS stuff and everything else. Google Docs was probably the first thing where it was like, here's this thing that you normally pay for and we're making it free because we can make money by doing something besides directly charging you for it. And it's they're just going to stay competitive with Google Docs. Like, I think maybe the press is a little too Apple-centric and excited about everything. <laughs> but it's like, all this does is, at minimum, bring them up to uh, competition with Google Docs, you know? I mean, that's already free. It's yeah, it's it's kind of an Apple Maps ish move almost to to bring that into it is like they're trying to oh like boy. even even if they can't make a product that is as good as Google Maps or as good at as Google Docs, they're trying to make it so that someone who picks up a Mac says, "Oh, I need a word processor." Like they don't run right to Google; they have an option that's there, like waiting for them to at least try first. Hmm. That's a good how, point. How good is the new iWork? Is it like can you use it across? any device on any browser does it work on like all these mobile devices I mean I'm sure it does but like do you need to have an Apple device to use iWork Um, to use the actual apps like the client side apps yes Um, but I have used um, the iCloud the iWork for iCloud beta on um, a Windows PC and on Chrome OS and it doesn't fully support all browsers like I don't the Chrome OS browser isn't fully supported even though I had no problem (laughs) with it Um, Firefox, I think, isn't fully supported. But it is, you know, for an Apple product, it is is cross-platform. I have not tried it on Android yet, though, I will say that. I would be interested in knowing more so how how well Apple keeps everything synced, given how ugly things seem to get with iMessage and stuff like that, like, very quickly. Um, I really... I I feel like I, I have sort of avoided using iCloud in any context um, a lot in my life because I have such a negative impression and I don't know if anything could ever really reclaim it. So I don't know if I would really ever resort to trading documents or anything from iWork if, if it relies on iCloud, which I can only assume it does. Yeah, I mean, iCloud's biggest problems tend to be with third-party stuff. I mean, iMessage is another thing. Like, that's got... It's got a long and storied history of having lots and lots of problems, but... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't use... I What I mainly use for my writing is, like, text edit because it's just a white window that I can make words into and, <laughs> and it's really <clears throat> simple. And I use, I use <laughs> iCloud to sync documents between my iMac and my uh, MacBook Air and now, like, when I'm reviewing something else, I can hop on um, the iCloud beta and um and work up there too but i've not i've had no particular problems with it you know if it, if it's for mm-hmm. apple stuff and if it's just serving as like a file repository that sort of thing is pretty simple and i haven't i haven't had a ton of problems with it hmm interesting well that's that's uh valuable information although i really don't i, I guess i still i i <laughs> I'm I'm in a rut where if I need to make a spreadsheet, I go to Google Docs. Uh, if I need to make a text document, I do actually use TextEdit quite a bit, and I don't really, I I I bristle against their their sort of the iCloud window that comes up when I try and open a just a simple text <laughs> document. But uh, you know, I tried I uh, I I do kind of spread myself around. I don't know if I could really unify under iWork ever, but. 
I don't know. I I, th- I do think that iWork will. I think I think the free productivity software, like I, I'm sure it can be sold as like an office competitive product in in stores, and I think that will actually be compelling to a lot of people. And I think people do still attach to that idea of a computer, even though it's. I would say it's not even really what people like. I th- that used to be like the killer app of computers, and now the killer app is really like the internet. So. I I think, but I I do still think people will latch onto that as something that's that's like import quote unquote important for a computer to have, and it will be nice for them that it's right there. Yeah, it kind of latches onto what they're already doing with iLife. It's like if you take a Mac out of the box, you know you can do basic photo organization and editing. You can do basic movie editing, and now they're just taking it and saying, well, now you can do basic like. Um, spreadsheets and, and yeah Word that and actually did hook me back in the day and, when yeah, it was yeah. like you can manage your photos and you can like manage your you know make make soundtracks and i was like i've never done any of that before but wouldn't it be great to try <laughs> and then <laughs> and then i found myself with a macbook and the rest is, the rest history. is history, yeah. you, you know it doesn't seem like there's much at stake here really though because from my point of view between google and microsoft selling these licenses for Office, I don't think Apple's quite keeping up. So it makes sense to me that they would just kind of embed this into the operating system and just make it kind of convenient, but I don't think that's where the focus truly is at. And I don't know what that means for the developers of these. Certainly, there's so many weird little things and bugs, and I have my own separate set of complaints about uh, (laughs) iWork and how it doesn't work properly on the uh, iCloud because I've used it quite a bit. Um, I'll save that for later, but certainly uh, I don't think this seems to be much of a blip really for the the, where Office applications are at today. Okay, I don't don't like to make big overarching blanket statements based on anecdotal evidence, but I think it's pretty safe to say that no serious Microsoft Office user considers iWork to be a replacement for Microsoft Office. I've I've tried to open a huge spreadsheet once and was completely denied by numbers. So that was the end. Anyway, sorry, Ron, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I think the big question is like, what does happen to Office now? Because sure, it's not good enough for hardcore Office users, but how many people are hardcore Office users? I feel like most people need you know basic word processing that like Google Docs or iWork will do, and that's it. And Office is kind of Microsoft's last big cash cow. I mean, Windows 8, I will say it again, is terrible. And uh, c- <laughs> I well, think you, like, were, you were wrong about Office being their last cash cow, but go ahead with the point that you're making. <laughs> well, I mean, now, you know, you've always kind of had Google Docs hanging out there in the background, and now two of your competitors give away all that Office stuff for free that handles probably 90% of use cases. So well, what is Microsoft's other cash cow? The thing, I mean, Windows is a huge Windows cash cow. Office, services, right? services is a cash cow. I mean, they they do make money from hardware and accessories and their various like media stores and stuff. Like they they pale in comparison to the light the software licensing that they do. But they they definitely have other sources of revenue. Like just just to evaluate Microsoft by its consumer facing stuff is. Um, is not correct. But the thing about Office that really hooks people in, I think, is that it's still kind of the de facto standard. Like, even if you're not using 80% of its features, 
if someone who works in an office is going to send somebody a spreadsheet or a a word i you know i even default to calling them word documents it's like kleenex like (laughs) text documents are just word documents and that's that's where office i mean that's the value of office is just you know quote unquote everybody in the business world uses it yeah i feel like they'll turn into something like a cisco where there's no there's not much of a consumer presence but they have like all this big businessy stuff because I just don't think consumers need office. Like, you don't need to, you know... Did you guys see that uh, that was iOS designed on uh, on Microsoft Word? Just, like, all of the insane Word uh, drawing functions that are in a word processing <laughs> app. Like, it's as capable... It looked as capable as Photoshop to me. But it's just so insanely complicated. Most people don't. I, well, I can't tell you how many times when I was a small child and Microsoft and Word was all I had that I wanted <laughs> to like just put a picture in my story about my cats or whatever, and I had to like open a separate Microsoft program and then make the drawing, and then it wouldn't really like go into the Word document even after you know you couldn't like there was it, it was just a mess. So I feel like. That's probably a response to the 10-year-old Casey Johnsons of the world who are just like, I just want to draw a kitty in my document. Are you sure this is 10-year-old Casey Johnson and not this like happened yesterday, yesterday Casey? But right? That's beside the point. <laughs> we want to post this as the show notes art. I think that would mm-hmm. be perfect. Definitely. Uh, no, I, I, I want to come in with a slightly different point of view here. I, I do think um, there is a need for these more robust uh, office applications, including word processing. The problem is, like Andrew said, that everybody has it pretty much around the world. That's what people are m- mostly used to. And I think the the competition, you know, I don't have every competitor out there for alternative word processing or formatting tools, but they've gotten really good. And so many of them are web applications now. So if you want to format an actual printed book, an ebook. Uh, posters, you know, you're going to go to other things that go beyond what Microsoft Word used to do. And a long time ago, I mean, we're talking now decades, it was the tool of choice to, to create really great looking stuff. And I think over the years, it's it's just become bigger and it's trying to do too many things at once for everybody around the world. And you can kind of see it, you know, it's 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 been... It's a dinosaur. Um, but I do think that there is a need for all these uh, sort of above and beyond needs in, in publishing and formatting. And uh, for that, you know, you should just go to whatever else is out there. I don't, I personally don't think every word processor should be as robust as what Word offers. It's just way too much in there. Mm-hmm. Well, Cesar, you actually, you come from, your worlds are kind of colliding here. Like you, you talk with a lot of authors, I think, and you do some publishing yourself like do do most publishers still kind of default to word as the standard that manuscripts need to be handed in yeah it's really interesting uh that's a great question i will tell you even though i don't work directly with a big publisher like penguin or harper collins i can tell you from other authors they tell me that that's generally the way that files are being exchanged now through track changes with word files and it's I mean, it doesn't take a genius to say it's probably not the best system. It's what people are used to. That that side of publishing moves a little bit 
more slowly than the other parts of the the ecosystem. And so um, what you do find is with independent publishers, they're experimenting more with things like Google Docs and uh, Scrivener, et cetera. But I know if you're definitely dealing with a conventional uh, agent, publisher, editor, um, that's mostly how they're doing that stuff now. And they're definitely not doing print. And I know it sounds silly that we would be talking about this on a tech podcast about, you know, would people still be moving full manuscripts around? Um, <laughs> But that's only a recent thing that they've stopped. Up until not too long ago, they were still sending out the full printed manuscript. So it's a slow movement for them. But um, I think they have needs that are even bigger than that. And they just don't have the right tool currently to support that kind of workflow for book publishing. I mean, I, again, this is just opinion, everybody. I am not a fully blown publishing professional, but I do talk <laughs> to a lot of authors. And it just, I hear a lot of complaints about Microsoft Word. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this might be a good segue into the next topic, which is Apple's, I mean, the the whole ecosystem of apps now, which is, you know, in a way peripheral to the, the productivity suite. But I actually, I actually pay a lot more attention to productivity software that is an app versus what can be on a computer. Like I have probably five different writing apps on my between my iPhone and my iPad um, and I, I actually do a lot of writing on them so the that word processing has become the, the quality of the word processing experience has actually become weirdly important to me and I actually compare and contrast and whatever so um, the question is whether Apple can I mean, whether whether it's important, I guess, for Apple to keep making money through apps, through its app store. Um, and I, I believe Google, I, I'm not sure of their economics, but I know they, I think, I mean, it's Google a known is... fact that apps cost less on Google store. And they also make a good chunk of money from mobile advertising. So... Ron, go ahead. <laughs> uh, Google, yeah, Google's um, financial situation is very easy to keep track of. It's 96% or like high 90% from advertising. That's it. One trick mm-hmm. pony. Every every dollar that comes in the door is from advertising somehow. Not the Chromebooks? No. <laughs> Ads no the Chromebook the pixel, I mean. Sorry, that was, that was the one I specifically meant to inquire <laughs> after. <laughs> Um, they so you don't have a breakdown for or a breakdown doesn't exist, I guess, for how much of their money comes from App Store royalties. The other four, the other four percent is like just a tiny sliver, a million pennies from a million different other places. You know, it's not a, <laughs> uh, it's not significant. Mm-hmm. And they don't. Uh, I don't. I'm not sure. I mean, Apple has like the simplest revenue model in the entire world, but I'm not sure what. Google's is if they charge uh, they they charge a, a royalty on app sales. Uh, it's thirty percent across the board okay, for so pretty it's much the same. everything. Okay, yeah. yeah. So but they they don't have a um they don't have a developer fee or whatever like Apple um mm-hmm. Mac uh, no, and there iOS is. developers. Oh, is there one? There is. Yeah, I I'm think signed it's up as an, bucks. Okay, yeah, I'm it's, signed up as an just, iOS and Mac developer, but not as an Android developer. Yeah, it's just a fee to kind of cut down on spammers and stuff like that. Yeah. Hmm. Makes sense. Not that it so, does a whole lot that I've yeah. seen. But. So, but some of that advertising revenue does come through, I think, 
there are a lot of apps that are supported by ads, right? And that is advertising that Google gets a cut of. Yeah, people always talk about how um, Apple makes way more app revenue from, you know, just direct purchases and stuff like that. But it's kind of a, a culture difference. Google is an ad company and so much of their stuff is ad supported and given away for free that Android users just aren't used to paying for stuff. Like in the Android SDK, you can click a few buttons and embed an ad into your app and give it away for free. And that's just kind of how most stuff works over there. The majority of apps are ad-supported, and that's what everybody's used to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you follow some prominent iOS developers, like uh, Marco Arment is one who is pretty opinionated on this subject. Mm -hmm. Um you know, some a prominent iOS developer who's kind of used to being able to get some revenue out of apps that does not come from ads. Like, they get frustrated by Android because people tend not to pay for stuff up front. Like, they, they're usually fine with ads, or if they... I don't know. Like, they, they're just less willing to, to pay for stuff is the, it's is funny the that stereotype, people, you know? People who buy apps... It's like people who make these apps are saying... They, they make their their iOS app and it's all like, you know, um, rigorously designed and then they go to Android and it's like, I can't besmirch my app with, a, with an ad that would be <laughs> terrible. And then the Android users are like, we don't care, it's fine. Just like throw... Put like a banner up there and give it to us for free and you'll get money forever and everyone will be happy. It's just like such a weird... Yeah, the money it's like forever. it's like the developers are trying to save the the Android users from themselves. <laughs> the money forever thing is a good point. It's like um, Angry Birds never offered a pay version on Android for the longest time. I'm still not sure if they do because like if you have a really sticky app, users see your ads every single time they turn it on. Whereas mm -hmm. when it's not ad supported, it's like here's a dollar and you're never gonna get another cent from me again. When when they see ads every day, they can often make a lot more than a dollar. Mm -hmm. uh, with Angry Birds and other games in particular, I think in-app purchases are coming into vogue as a way to yeah. keep making money from those. Like, I usually don't go for in-app purchases, so I paid a dollar for Angry Birds like four years ago. <laughs> and I've, I have not paid them anything else since then. But yeah, those are definitely... Um, like kind of the Farmville model almost. Like I, I don't want to say that like there are a lot of games on iOS that are better than Farmville that are using in-app purchases, but it's kind of that kind of that thing where you can play the game as designed, but you can also pay money to like get bonuses or like to speed things up or, you know, that kind of thing. I am deeply resentful of the freemium model. I can't, I can't stand... Even if a game is free, I can't stand playing it for a little while and then being asked to pay for something. It's it bothers me so much and I can't it's it's like anathema to me that people buy into this. I just don't get it. I I even even if it's not a game, if it's like an app, like I've seen drawing apps for instance where it's like you can get a new pen, you know, we have, you know, 20 pens and buy whatever pen you want for a dollar. It's just like oh, it makes me so angry. Yeah, I feel the same way. It's I think it's because you're whenever you see that you're always unsure. You're like, is it this the last time I'm going to pay money, or is it every time I press a button I'm going to get a pop up for a credit card number, and mm -hmm. and the want more money? Like, there needs to be a clear line of where is the end. Like when it's free, you know it's always free. When you pay up front, you know you pay up front and you can just use everything. But you're never sure where the the end is with in app purchases. That actually is a good point because I think when 
like if I were to use the pen example from before, I'm far more likely to see all of the pens and then start to think of it as like a $0 thing or a $20 thing. I'm not like, oh, I need some pens. I need all of the pens. So I have to make a decision about all of the pens and not just an individual pen here or there. <laughs> so you've, you've got to collect collect them all. I, guess. I have to collect them all. You I have to got, be the very best like no one ever was. <laughs> Well, you and Andrew should should talk. <laughs> Casey we makes fun of my Pokemon stuff topic, all I the think. time. All really? the time. Jeez. Put me on blast about my Pokemon addiction. <laughs> These are big times for a Pokemon. That's all everyone's talking about on Twitter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all big I can deal. talk about. <laughs> cool. Well, we have reached the, at the end of the show this time. I want to thank Ron for visiting us uh, for the first time. Oh, yeah. It was fun. Anytime. And as usual, you guys know that we like it when you give us the love on the comments of the post for the show notes, when you go to iTunes and you leave us a review, or when you subscribe, when you go to SoundCloud, you can also find us there and listen to the show and give us a little heart. And um, you can also reach all of us on Twitter. Uh, That's something that I haven't mentioned as much on the show before, but... Uh, if you go to arstechnica.com, there are a couple of places where you can see per author uh, where to reach them on Twitter. But we also talk a lot with our readers. So uh, if you guys are curious about that, uh, my Twitter handle is Uraka, U-R-R-A-C-A. And the rest of you guys, go for it. My Twitter handle is just my name, at Casey Johnston. Um, I am at Andrew Wrights, all one word. At Ron Amadio, that's R-O-N-A-M-A-D-E-O. Yeah, I should have spelled mine. <laughs> you still can. Enough. Go no, for you're, it. You're good. No. We're yeah. They'll figure it well, out. My people who simple. can't spell, you don't want those followers. Come on. That's true. Well, <laughs> and you guys, it's kind of neat because the, you know, we look at the stats of the podcast and we do have a lot of listeners that come in from all the way around the world. And although we are a mega giant in tech journalism, uh, there are sometimes people who only know about us through the podcast. So uh, you guys, if you are using Twitter, ask us questions, ask us questions about the show. And if you have other topics you'd like to see us cover, let us know. All right. So thanks for being here. And uh, we will see you guys in the next episode. Mm -hmm. Bye. 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 Bye.